Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I remember when I had the twins, I was so freaked out about their safety because of covering cases where children were hurt or worse for years they go missing they're abused you never know who the abuser is you have no idea i actually had two babysitters whenever i was not with them a babysitter to watch the other babysitter watch the twins i know it sounds crazy but in my mind that was the only way that i could work and leave the twins Sadly, not everyone is able to do that. Today, the victim is a two-year-old, gorgeous little baby girl. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. is baby Fallon. Listen. We say cheese. Say cheese. <laughs> An infectious laugh. Zest for life. Hey. Hey. I love you. I love her. And unconditional love for her mother. Moments captured by Fallon Fridley's parents. On December 9th, Mother Kristen dropped Fallon off with babysitter Kirsty Flood. She'd been watching Fallon since August and treated her like her own child. That night, she says she allowed Fallon to have a sleepover with Flood's own children. I had spoken to her around 8.30, and she said Fallon had just eaten dinner. She was fine. She was in bed. Um, and then she calls me hysterically about an hour later, saying that Fallon wasn't moving. How can that be? Guys, again, thank you for being with us. Let me introduce you an all-star panel to break it down and put it back together again. First of all, trial judge, lawyer, anchor at Court TV, Ashley Wilcott at AshleyWilcott.com. Renowned psychiatrist out of the Atlanta jurisdiction, Dr. Angela Arnold at AngelaArnoldMD.com. Director of the Cold Case Research Institute, crime scene tech expert, Cheryl McCollum. Renowned medical examiner for the entire state of Florida, Dr. Tim Gallagher at pathcaremed.com. But first, to a special guest joining us, Mike Pachinik with WSB-TV Channel 2, Atlanta. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. First of all, I want to understand the topography here. Where did this happen? This happened in Sandy Springs, Georgia, Nancy, which is a suburb just north of the Atlanta city limits. That's a pretty ritzy area, Sandy Springs. It's right there nestled in with Buckhead uh, in North Atlanta. So Sandy Springs is a, a little suburb just out of there. I'm, I'm trying to understand where this happened and about the family dynamic. So the mom was at work when tragedy befell her daughter? That, that's right, Nancy. Uh, the family actually lives in a, in a nearby suburb uh, of Woodstock, which is not too far away. Uh, they uh, entrusted this little girl to be babysat by their friend, Kirsty Flood. Uh, they were friends for quite some time. Um, Where was Fridley, the mom the working? Me, Where's the mom working? That's what I'm trying to find out right now. Where is she? You know, 
I, I really don't know where she works, to be honest Okay, with but we do. We have, con- I should have asked this to start with. We have confirmed the mom was not with the two-year-old, right? That is correct. Where's the yes, dad he, in this he scenario? A, uh, he also is a, is a working parent, so he was he was at work as Man, well. Man, that's tough, especially if you have to travel, especially if you have to be away at night and wonder how is your child. And in this world we live in, it's hard to get by with one parent working. It's much more common, I think, Ashley Wilcott, that both parents work. Oh, gosh, it is. I see cases all the time from all different areas of Georgia. And let me just say this. Typically, you either have a single parent or working or in the alternative, especially this day and age with COVID and changes in jobs, everybody's scrambling to do what they have to do to provide for their family. And often both are outside of the home working. You know, Cheryl McCollum, uh, when you and I work together uh, out on crime scenes at all times of the day and night in all parts of Atlanta, Fulton County, especially a lot of bad high crime areas. I don't think I could have done it if I had had children at that time. I mean, we were out all hours of the day and night processing crime scenes, trying to find witnesses. There were some nights Absolutely. during trial, I don't, I don't think I would even sleep between trying to find witnesses and, and line up the next day with, uh, for trial. You just can't. How did you do it, Cheryl? Well, you know, I had a lot of help and, you know, Walt changed his schedule and my sister Charlene changed her schedule immediately. Charlene was a flight attendant, so she would fly all night and then get my children at seven o'clock in the morning so I could go on duty. And when Walt got home, he would let Charlene go to sleep. So Cause I was man, when very I fortunate. see you out at 2 a.m. Uh, <laughs> processing yeah. a homicide, you were fresh as a daisy. And uh, I never understood how you, how you did it with two children. Well, a lot of help. A lot of help, Nancy. And I'm going to tell you, you and I both, when the children got here, changed our schedules. I mean, instead of working unusual part-time jobs, I became a college professor. I changed everything that I did. I quit working in the jail. There were a lot of things yeah, that I did. I'm to sure try you were to sad to life. see that uh, go away in your life. <laughs> I, I mean, so sad. there's one thing. I mean, the jailhouse funk. You can't go in there and come out not smelling like that. I don't know what that is because it's kind of a mixture of too many people and cleaning fluid. Yeah. It's just, ugh, and steam. You know, like in a school cafeteria, that steam from the food where they have all that hot water under the food, just like all oh, meshes together. You can't wait to run out of that place. I'm sure you're sad to see that go. What we're talking about is a two-year-old little girl, Fallon Fridley, and her mom, Kristen Gant, and moms at work, dads at work. Joining me right now is a very special guest. It's Stephanie Fridley, the aunt of Baby Fallon, the sister of mom, Kristen Stephanie, first of all, you have no idea how much we have all been thinking and praying for your family. And I, I want to find out more about where mom and dad worked. So um, my sister, Kristen, uh, works at for Kids Animal Shelter. She literally dedicates all of her time to taking care of and rehabilitating kittens and sending them off to good homes. And her husband works as a maintenance man. Excuse me, a maintenance manager at the grounds guys. At the what? The grounds guys. You know, uh, and with jobs like that, you're on call a lot, and I know the Absolutely. feeling. Guys, we're talking about a beautiful two-year-old little girl 
mommy had to work at night and everything's fine but I've covered so many cases like that to Dr. Angela Arnold, psychiatrist joining us, where everything's picture perfect. I mean, I'm thinking about Elizabeth Smart. They live in this mm-hmm. gorgeous mansion in this loving family. And all of a sudden, the middle of the night, she's gone. All the way right. down to Haley Cummings in Florida. Goes to bed, babysitter there. She's gone. Uh, and, and you have no idea. Isabella Solis, different part of the country. The whole family's asleep, and somehow somebody gets Isabel. And you and you don't plan for it, and you don't think about something like that happening in your life. So when it does happen, it's shocking. Totally out of your realm of thinking. Yes. And in both Elizabeth Smart and Isabel Solis, the whole family was home. And in Haley oh. Cummings, it was the dad's fiance that was at home when Haley is taken, goes missing. So it's and honestly, what? Nancy, no one wants to feel like they're unsafe in their own home. No, so no one ever is going to feel like they're unsafe in their own home. No Absolutely matter how many stories not. like this happen. So how many times will it take that a child is brutalized in their own home? before it can be fixed. But is there a way to fix it? Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. We are talking about a two-year-old little girl, Fallon Fridley. She's at home. Mommy says that while she's at work, she actually spoke to Kirsty. That was around 8.30 p.m. It was almost bedtime then. Everything's fine. Um, Fallon had had dinner. She was fine going to bed. She was going down for the night. And in my mind, once the children get in bed, Pretty much the drama for the day is over and we can all go to sleep. Take a listen to Latasha Givens, WXIA. Distraught beyond measure. It's unfathomable that she's not here with us. I don't know how you wake up each day and and move on when um, such horrific loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she's experiencing right now. Samantha Shelton is speaking on behalf of the Fridley family as they mourn the tragic death of two-year-old Fallon. Shelton says she's worked with Fallon's mother for the past few years at Fur Kids. She is part of our family and um, we stand with her. Her loss is our loss and we love Fallon. Um, Fallon would come to work with her sometimes. Shelton says Fallon loved animals like her mother and the staff had already picked out her Christmas gifts. You were hearing staff where mom works at Fur Kids. A shock reverberating through the community, family and friends stunned. To Stephanie Fridley, the aunt, a little Fallon. Stephanie, when did you learn that something had gone horribly wrong? Um, I was actually on my way home from a close friend of mine's home. um, And my younger sister, Cindy, had called me uh, very distraught, saying that something was wrong. And I, you know, didn't think too much of it. I thought everything was fine. It's just maybe she tripped and fell or something. So 
I called Kristen and her husband Cameron answered the phone and he was beside himself. And that's when I knew something was wrong. And he told me they were at the hospital. So I got over there to the Scottish Rite as quickly as I could. It was probably about 11, 11.30 when I arrived at the hospital. And with, Scottish Rite, of mother. course, is one of the premier mm-hmm. children's hospitals really in the world. And it's not too, too far away from where this family lived. Uh, the baby with a trusted friend that had been taking care of the baby for a while, longtime friend. So what happened to baby Fallon? And, you know, that feeling, Dr. Tim Gallagher, I'm sure you've dealt with so many families that are beside themselves when you're at the hospital and you're waiting and praying for good news. I mean, how do you break it to a family that there's not good news, Dr. Gallagher? Well, you know, that is never easy, and that's uh, one of the most difficult parts of my job and of many doctors' jobs, and even detectives who investigate cases is breaking bad news to the family. Um, there's, there's never a good way to do it. Uh, I think the most common way to do it is just to come out with it and not sugarcoat it at all and just tell them the truth and, and let the emotions flow where they need to go. Take a listen to our friend, Sandy Springs Police Sergeant Salvador Ortega. We got a 911 call about a non-responsive child. Um, Sandy Springs PD, along with the EMS, responded. They gave the child CPR and transported her to the hospital where she was later pronounced dead by medical personnel. CNE Springs police soon learned the medical examiner ruled her death a homicide. Hey. Hey. I love you. I love you. Fallon was a happy, sweet little girl. Her mother tells me the energetic two-year-old loved to sing and dance. And in her eyes, there were no strangers, just people to meet and hold hands with. Hey, Fallon. But on December 9th, her life was cut short. We got a 911 call about a non-responsive child. Um, Sandy Springs PD, along with the EMS, responded. They gave the child CPR and transported her to the hospital, where she was later pronounced dead by medical personnel. Sandy Springs police soon learned the medical examiner ruled her death a homicide. Two days after Fallon was found unresponsive in the Sandy Springs apartment. I want to go back to you, Mike Pachenik, joining us, WSB-TV Channel 2. Explain to me about the structure. Was it an apartment, a high-rise, a home, a suburb? What was it? Yeah, uh, Christy Flood lived in, in an apartment complex uh, on the northern side of the city. Uh, in fact, she was uh, operating a, a daycare out of her home. She had advertised it as a daycare with toys and, and games for the kids to play. How have, have you seen the apartment? What level was it on? Bottom, second, third? I, I believe they lived on the second or third floor from what I was able to see. I mean, because it seems to me the very first thing you do, Cheryl McCollum, based on what Mike Pachinik from WSB-TV is telling us, is you look at the structure. Is it, for instance, in Isabel Solis's case, the entire backyard had a very high, solid not brick, I don't think, but maybe stucco wall all the way around it. And the front door had not been tampered with when Isabel was taken. So you got to figure out how could somebody get in and hurt this child? How did this happen? When you get a call like this, Cheryl McCollum, what do you do first? 
Well, the first thing, again, if you think the child's already unresponsive, you get the information from the primary caregiver. In this case, it would have been the babysitter who made the claim. She hit her head on the slide and then wouldn't wake up. So, again, I want to know where the, where the slide is. Is it a park or a playground right there at the facility? Did she walk with the child back to the apartment injured? Did she carry the child? How severe was that injury to this babysitter at a time? And then I'm going to look for people. I'm going to send the rookies out. Can you get anybody that saw these two at the park? Can anybody verify that happened? Well, let me understand. Hold on. Do you know that they had been at the playground, Cheryl? No, and that's what I'm saying. That's one thing I would find out. And another thing about it, Cheryl, you know, the reality is that you start looking for men in the child's life because for a child to just suddenly die in the care of a trusted friend who everybody goes to sleep you typically look at men. No offense, men on the panel. That would be Mike Pachinik and Dr. Tim Gallagher. But it's usually men that kill statistically. No offense. But that's the reality. That's where I would start looking, Cheryl. I would immediately look at everybody that was in control or care of that child. Every person. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, we were talking about the death of this little girl, and she dies, to my understanding, within the apartment on a second or third floor. The mom gets a call straight back to Stephanie Fridley. This is Fallon's aunt. Stephanie, at first, you were just told something's wrong. When did you realize it was very serious? Um, When we were at the hospital... Um, you know, the doctor had mentioned that he had never seen a child with injuries this severe actually recover. Um, so hearing that was really a heavy blow, but we were all optimistic. Um, I think it was around 1.15, 1.20 in the morning that we got the hard news. So, Stephanie, who was there with you in the hospital? Who rushed the baby to the hospital? Uh, Kristen and Cameron, her husband, met Um, actually beat the ambulance to the hospital. Um, Myself, my younger sister, Cindy, and my mother got there as quickly as we could. So did the babysitter take the baby to the hospital or the mom take the baby to the hospital? No, the ambulance picked Fallon up and brought her to the hospital. Got you. So the babysitter calls the ambulance. They come get the baby, take baby Fallon to the hospital, and the mom is flying. She meets the ambulance there. Do I have that right? Got it. Guys, as this scenario unfolds, questions ping-ponging off the brains of the parents, take a listen to our friend Jackie Howard at Crime Online. Kristen Friendly Gant and Kirsty Flood have been friends for six years. Both are mothers and friends say they both love children. That's one of the reasons Kristen Gant turned to Flood when she needed a babysitter. For several months, 29-year-old Flood cared for two-year-old Fallon Friedley at least three days a week. And in August, she became Fallon's full-time babysitter. Just before Christmas, Flood invited Fallon to a sleepover with her own children. And that's when Kristen Gant's nightmare began. A sleepover with other children in the home. 
You know, this could go in so many different directions. Special guest joining me, the aunt of baby Fallon, Stephanie Fridley. Stephanie, describe the scene for me as everyone is waiting in the hospital hallway to get news about Fallon. Um, I can't even really put into words just the overwhelming worry and anxiety that we were all experiencing, but we kept trying to hang in there and be optimistic. You know, everything up until that last moment when we got the news, we were just, I, I can't even explain, just absolute fear and anxiety. You know, to Dr. Tim Gallagher, the babysitter, um, Kirsty Flood, said that Baby Fallon hit her head on a slide. Now, I know for a fact when my son John David hit his head at a birthday party on a professional-grade basketball court, he was in the hospital for days. He had a serious, serious concussion. So how would that work? Well, I mean, the, the first thing uh, that we would do here at the medical examiner's office, you know, is look at the pattern of injuries. If it's a single blow to the head, then yes, that is possible. But in child abuse cases, we don't find that typically. We find multiple impacts on different sides. Now, I'm of saying the body. if if she hit her head on the slide, like the babysitter said, how would it be that she could eat dinner and? go to bed as normal, and then what, go into a coma from uh, bleeding on the brain? I mean, how would that work? Uh, Well, that would be a very, very unlikely situation. Um, You know, uh, there can be a situation that's something called a walk, talk, and die syndrome where you have a, where you do have an impact to the head. You know, it's always such a joy talking to you, Dr. Gallagher. Walk, talk, and (laughs) die. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Well, it's a it's a term that we use and uh, for an epidural or uh, bleeding on the very top of the brain, and typically what happens is you'll you'll have an impact to the head. It wouldn't be that severe. Typically, these happen to skiers or snowboarders. Oh, you and, mean like uh, Natasha Richardson, Liam? Uh, is it Liam? Le- yes, Liam Neeson's wife. Remember that beautiful actress. And mother hit her head on a tree skiing. She got a little nauseous. She was tired. She lay down and died. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, that would be right. The walk, talk, and die syndrome, you know, after the after the impact. So it's indicative of a very slow bleed that, um, that happens over a long period of time to the point where uh, the amount of blood uh, increases the pressure inside of the head. You become sleepy. You, you have difficulty breathing. You lay down, and then you, you uh, expire shortly thereafter. You know, so uh, if that was the case, then you would have a progression of her, of the, of the victim, of the, of the child, um, becoming uh, more or, or less and less responsive over a long period of time. It's not like all of a sudden you're, you're talking and enjoying yourself and then a snap of the finger and then you're unconscious and dead. You know, it's it's a long progression from being lucid to being uh, clouded and then being uptunded and then dying. Um, So if that's not how this case presented itself, uh, then I would suspect uh, another mechanism for the child's injury. Well, uh, Dr. Tim Gallagher and Fallon Fridley's aunt, Stephanie Fridley, joining us today say, 
that's not at all what happened here. Back to our friend Mike Pachinik from WSB-TV Channel 2. Dr. Gallagher and Stephanie Fridley are right. That's not the way it unfolded based on the nature of the injuries. What can you tell me about Fallon's injuries, Mike? They were horrific. Uh, The child had injuries all over her body that were definitely not consistent with just hitting her head on a slide at the playground. You know, that's a dead giveaway, Mike Pachinik. I mean, I'm no medical examiner like Dr. Tim Gallagher is joining us. But when you say a child hit her head on the slide, I would expect to see one bruise, maybe a laceration on the head. If she was at the top of the slide, I might expect, you know, maybe her knees to be skinned if she fell off. But I would not expect to see uh her body riddled with injuries. What do you know about the injuries, Mike? What type of injuries were there? Uh, they found contusions all over her body, uh, terrors uh, to, to some of her internal organs, uh, which uh, were definitely inconsistent with hitting your head on a slide as well. So just horrific, horrific injuries. And plus, children's slides are, by law, Ashley Wilcott, it's regulated for playgrounds, schools, church, public playgrounds. Slides have to be a certain height, and they've got to have all sorts of safety precautions on them. So this sort of thing won't happen, Ashley. Yeah, exactly. And so the reality is, can kids hurt themselves on a playground? Sure, absolutely. Kids can have an accident anywhere. But you're right, Nancy, for these types of injuries, the severity, the number of different injuries, um, a slide is meet certain requirements, as do all of the pieces of played out equipment to prevent those types of injuries. So Cheryl McCollum, what the babysitter is saying does not jive with the injuries. And what you and I were talking about at the beginning was tracing the baby's steps up until the time of the injury. And you look at every person around her. Now we have an inconsistency, Cheryl. And that's where you stay. You stay at that first lie. So again, once the doctor is telling law enforcement, her organs have been damaged. So that's either being punched, being kicked. There's injury to the front of her head, the back of her head, the top of her head. That's not one fall Mm-mm. from a slide. Mm-mm. And that baby could not have walked back to the apartment. So we go back. Did anybody see them leave? Is there video from the complex? Um, did anybody witness? Did another child play with her? Did she actually make it to the slide, to the park? And to you, Dr. Tim Gallagher, how much force is needed for there to be internal injuries on a child? I mean, I always imagine it to be like a car crash or a, a punting professional hitting, kicking a football for the 40-yard goal. I mean, how much velocity do you need for there to be so much tearing and bleeding to internal organs? Well, that's a good question. You know, it depends on a lot of things, but, um, you know, your typical child, her age, you know, it would require either a, whatever blow would tear your organs would also knock the breath out of you, you know, could also knock you unconscious, you know, so uh, a good kick in the abdomen or a good punch right under the rib cage uh, is certainly more than enough force in a child to do that type of damage. I mean, Stephanie Fridley, this is baby Fallon's aunt, 
standing there in the hallway with mom and dad at the hospital praying, praying the baby would survive. Had you been told she hit her head on the slide? Yeah, initially, that's kind of what we had heard from Kirsty. Did you believe it? No. No, I didn't think that a, a playground injury could actually hospitalize a child in this fashion. Well, you know what? Your instinct was correct. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. What happened to baby Fallon? Take a listen to our friend Mike Pachinik, WSB-TV Atlanta. At the hospital, police say Flood claimed the toddler had hit her head on the slide at the playground, but doctors believe Flood badly beat the child. And according to this arrest affidavit, had been searching phrases on her phone like, what does it mean to have a sudden urge to beat a child that's not yours? And it's like this evil was in front of my face for years and I never saw it. Evil in front of my face for years, but I didn't see it. To Mike Pachinik, WSB-TV, Channel 2, Atlanta. Mike, tell me what you learned about the best friend babysitter's computer searches. Yeah, so police uh, actually went and checked her phone and uh, on the Safari app of her iPhone, and they were able to look at her search history. And as, as mentioned in the piece there, that was one of the phrases, uh, what does it mean to have a sudden urge to beat a child that's not yours? There was another search for... Quote, I hit my child and feel guilty. And, and a third search, uh, Nancy, that said, quote, what type of people enjoy abusing other people's children? You know, even wouldn't you think, Dr. Angela Arnold, you're the shrink. I'm just a trial lawyer. Wouldn't you realize as you're typing these questions into Google, there's something horribly wrong that you need to fix? I mean, that wouldn't dawn I, on you? Yes. I think it would dawn on you, but you know something? There are people, there are people, Nancy, that do things, they harm the harmless, and they get pleasure from other people's pain, and they're called sadists, okay? Sadists actually feel other people's pain more than normal. They enjoy it until it's over, and then they feel bad. So, yes, this woman knew that she was suffering from this, and she was wondering about it. And maybe she couldn't even stop herself. But this is... That's when you close the daycare. When you're starting to type into Google, why do I want to hurt other people's children? I beat my child. Now I feel bad about it. That's when you close the doors to your daycare. Take a listen to Melissa Stern, CBS 46. Antoinette Neary, the former apartment manager at the complex, says she knew Flood well. Christy was absolutely erratic. Fredley's family says the babysitter first reported the little girl died after falling at the playground. But an autopsy revealed she suffered severe injuries that resulted in her death under Flood's watch. In the month of August, every single day we had the police at Christy Flood's apartment. According to Sandy Springs Police, there have been six incident reports involving Flood since August of this year. The reports range from larcenies, harassing communications, and criminal trespass. Neri also sent us screenshots from Facebook saying Flood was running an illegal daycare. I had given her a lease violation for trying to run a business out of her home because that is a lease violation. Straight back out to Stephanie Fridley. This is baby Fallon, just two years old. And I wish you could see her picture. Just 
She looks like a little angel. You can go to CrimeOnline.com and see her photo as well. Stephanie, who is this woman? Who is Kirsty Flood, 29-year-old Kirsty Flood? I mean, she had been in uh, the mom, Kristen Fridley's Gantz life for a long time, but no one ever suspected a thing. No, and, you know, I have known her family for a long time. She was a wonderful mother. All of her friends and family that knew her well would say that she was just a kind-hearted person. She loved her children. She took great care of Fallon, and we we thought she was a wonderful person. Were you ever around her? Uh, not personally. I have met her, but it's it's been a while since I've you seen met her. You met her. I mean, what was she like? Was she bubbly? Was she quiet? She was open-armed and loving and warm. She was just... And there had been no like, warning like, signs? Absolutely not. Just honestly one of the kindest people. Back to Mike Pachinik, WSB-TV, Channel 2. What can you tell me about uh, incident reports regarding this woman, the babysitter, who was taking care of several children at her apartment complex? What do you know? Right. So there were there were six different calls to that apartment complex. Most of the issues were really uh, a dispute between her and the leasing office and the leasing manager. Uh, according to uh, Antoinette Neary, uh, she had been complaining about issues in her apartment, like mold and some other uh, maintenance problems. And it had escalated to the point where she was criminally trespassed from the leasing office for causing a stink over there. And um, okay, because so when I heard police were called, I assumed it was for a, a crime, not a landlord tenant dispute, because that's actually pretty common. So I want to go back to the searching of the Internet. Cheryl McCollum, director of Cold Case Research Institute, jump in. My biggest issue with this whole statement that she typed in, and like you said, Nancy, she chose to sit with her phone and type every word. What type of people enjoy, enjoy abusing, enjoy abusing? Those two words tell so much about her. And then, of course, she goes on to say other people's children. So, again, what leaps out at me, she enjoys abusing other people's children, not just hurting them, but abusing them. By typing that in, what she's actually looking for is information about herself. She didn't type in, how can I stop abusing somebody else's child? How can I quit hurting somebody's child? She just wants to know, hey, why do I enjoy it so damn much? You know, what makes it even worse in my mind, uh, Ashley Wilcott, judge, trial lawyer, court TV anchor, is that the whole family trusted her. And she had a facade. I mean, it makes me think of Scott Peterson. And he's an easy one to pick because it's just such a stark contrast because he seemed like the perfect husband. Some people, not me, but some people think he's handsome, athletic, college degree, great job, great personality. Who would have guessed he would murder Lacey and unborn child Connor on Christmas Eve of all days? So the facade you paint to the public is one thing. It's it's like a, a mind twist because what you see is not what your brain knows to be the facts, Ashley. Yeah, and to your point, Nancy, this is an attractive person. If you look online and see pictures of her, she's an attractive person. And the problem is 
general people, people in general, other than those of us on this call that are in this field, trust people. You develop a friendship. You develop a relationship. And necessarily, those are people you tend to trust. And so there was no reason the way this person held herself out, built a friendship, appeared that they didn't trust her. And regrettably, she had a screw loose. She did something that was horrific. Man, you're not kidding. Something that's horrific. But because she was doing all these searches, I do not believe this was the first time she had acted. Take a listen to our friends at Fox 5. Cobb County court records show this isn't the first time Flood has been arrested by police. Back in 2010, she was arrested for battery, underage possession, contributing to the delinquency of a minor, underage possession, and criminal trespass. In 2012, she was arrested during a traffic violation for having a controlled substance. She's currently in the Fulton County Jail facing charges of felony murder, malice murder, aggravated battery, and cruelty to children. Yes, Mike Pachinik, she's behind bars, but the parents have a life sentence. They hired the babysitter, the longtime friend that apparently murdered their child. What is next for this babysitter, Kirsty Flood? Well, uh, she has been sitting in the Fulton County Jail for, for a good month now. Uh, she has been denied bond, uh, so there is no chance that she'll be getting out. We wait as justice unfolds, as prayers go on for baby Fallon's parents. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. Mm-hmm.